Welcome back to another episode of sasslife.fm. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I am doing well. A couple pounds heavier after Thanksgiving and feeling good. Yeah. How was your turkey day? It was really nice. You know, it was low key. We didn't get together with a bunch of family or anything. So just my wife and the two kids, we kind of went simple on the meal, smoked a turkey in the Traeger, or more importantly, so I can say the word spatchcocked and smoked Ah. turkey in the Traeger. (laughs) And it turned out really well. So it was nice. nice and relaxing. You? Yeah. Yeah. Same same deal. We had a very low-key, immediate family only. So it was uh, my wife and my daughter. And we I did the deep fried our turkey. And so, which was, you know, it was funny because the for us, Thanksgiving Day was like 30 degrees and really windy. <laughs> and the few days surrounding it were like mid fifties and beautiful. And so the day that I had to stay outside for about two hours, it was fun. It, it, it turned out fine. I, I always like doing that. And it's, it's a lot of fun to, to have a beer and watch the oil heat up and then fry turkey. It's great. And no mishaps, no third degree burns, nothing like that. No, no, no. I've, I, it was funny. A couple of days before I realized that the turkey was still in the freezer. <laughs> so I had to pull that out and be like, Oh, I think we need to start brining this a little bit earlier to so that, it, that it's a hundred percent defrosted because you can't drop a frozen turkey in there. That's when, that's when the fun really starts. So <laughs> no, avoided all that. It was, it was actually pretty, pretty low key and not, not that big of a deal. So it was nice. Good. Did you watch any football? I did. Yes. The other big news is. Tomorrow, my beloved Hawkeyes will be in the Big Ten championship game, and we have no business being there. So going back to Thanksgiving weekend, we we had to win our last game of the season. And not only in addition to that, we needed another team to upset their rivals in order for us to go. So the odds were against us to begin with. And even worse than that, we were playing uh, Nebraska in our last game. And at the near the end of the third period, we were down by 15, I think, and we only had a 3% chance to win that game. Turns out we, we were able to come back and huge rally in the fourth quarter and, and ended up winning. And then Minnesota upset Wisconsin. So all the cards, you know, lined up well or all the, you know, it just, it was perfect. And now we're in the game. And so it's, that's tomorrow. Really excited. Hope we don't embarrass ourselves on the national stage and it'll, it'll be a fun game to watch. Well, congrats. My wife's Thanks. whole family are uh, Nebraska fans. So, you know, her parents yeah. went to Nebraska. Two of her four sisters went to Nebraska. So, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> that, would be, that would be, that was a tough one to watch if you're on the receiving end of that loss. Be careful. Some of them listen. So, yeah, no, no, all, all respect. And it's, it happens to every team every year. So, like I said, we have no business being there, but it'll, it'll be fun to watch. So, good. Just squeeze in any work over the last two weeks. You know, we, over the last two weeks, yes, but I, I actually took four days off for Thanksgiving. So it took off Thanksgiving, most of that Friday and then the following weekend. So it was kind of four days to, to decompress and not really think about much work. And then man, Monday, Monday hit because it's cyber Monday and <laughs> everything came in on that Monday. So it just, it was like this, this buildup of, of work stuff. So yeah, it was, it's, it was an interesting, interesting week this week, but it's fun to get back to, back to it. Oh, tell me about cyber Monday. How does that work in your world? I, I, I honestly, I didn't know uh, what to expect because this is the first 
formal Black Friday slash Cyber Monday that text retailers had. And it was, there weren't many deals sent out by my merchants on Black Friday, but a lot of them sent out deals on Cyber Monday. And so they would just push out a text message and, and send out deals. In fact, it turned out to be one of our best, if not the best day that we've ever had in text retailer in terms of number of, number of, of orders processed and volume. So that was, that was pretty cool to see. I think at one point, Two or three or four, I think it was four merchants all at once had a campaign within like a 30 minute window. So it was just watching the logs just go crazy and the order counts go up. And so that was interesting to see. And it gives me food for thought for next year that it's going to definitely be something that we have to prepare for from an infrastructure perspective. If we get, you know, have a lot of merchants on board at that point and, and just something to keep in mind that it, it's definitely going to be something that merchants want to send out offers for because they're already sending it through email. So they might as well send it through a text message too. Right. Were you worried at all about the infrastructure? Anything kind of pop up as a potential issue? Not overall. I've been chasing down this issue that's very specific. It has to deal with Canadian phone carriers. So sending text messages to Canada and sending what's known as a MMS message. And that's a, basically it's a multimedia message. So you're sending an image along with the text message. And those are kind of put into a different pipeline than your normal plain text text messages are. And for whatever reason, the Canadian product just isn't quite as well developed as what we're, we're used to experiencing in the U.S. And one of my new merchants is actually a coffee company that they do a deal of the week and they're, they're solely focused on Canadian roasters. So it's their whole branding is we are going to provide Canadian coffee to Canadians, you know, in, in different areas that you're not normally going to get access to. So all of their messaging is sent through the Canadian networks and they've been kind of testing out the system and playing around with it for, for a few weeks now. And they've sent out a couple of offers. And from my perspective, when we sent out these, these text messages, these MMS messages, everything came back great. Our, our aggregator said the messengers sent the carriers all good. It, everything looked like it was a successful delivery, but it was apparent that the vast majority of their recipients weren't actually receiving these messages, you know, because they were sending out email campaigns, like, what do you think of the deal? And people were like, I didn't get it. Or they'd prep them and say, Hey, we're going to send out a deal tomorrow at 10 AM. And people would be like, when's the message coming? I'm not getting it. So it was clear there was something wrong. And the, the, the challenge that we ran into is figuring out what the heck is going on with these the Canadian networks, because it's not like they were sending back, oh, there's an error. Here's what you need to do. It's either a formatting error with the message or something else. It, they literally were saying, yep, it's all good. Do you get any kind of insight? Like, do you know what the status of a message is? Or once you fire it off, is it just into the ether? It depends. It depends on the carrier. It depends on the network that we're sending to. The vast majority of messages, yes, we it goes so far as not only are they successfully received by the carrier, but the carrier will send us back a, a delivery receipt. We can't nice. tell if the end person actually opens it, so it doesn't okay. have anything with opens, but it, it will say we've sent this message successfully to the handset. That's for the vast majority of the messages that are sent, but not really in Canada. <laughs> That's more of a uh-huh. send and, you know, and hope for the best and assume that it gets there. But like I said, even worse was these messages weren't actually being delivered, but the carriers were saying that they were, or they, they at least said we've received them. After working, working through with some industry experts and kind of diving deeper into this, it turns out that if you send these image messages at too fast of a rate to the Canadian networks, they won't send back like a API throttle 
error. Like you're sending us too many messages, slow down. They literally just drop them. <laughs> they just ignore them. And so I, that's the theory of that's what's happening or was what, what, what was happening is we were just throttle, sending these out at a much faster rate than they were willing to accept. So I had to basically look under the hood of our throttling engine, found a couple of bugs that needed to be fixed and never really found them in the past because the U.S. networks, they don't care as much. And so it's not a catastrophic failure if you send too many of those to the U.S. networks, they just handle it gracefully. And so completely rewrote the throttling system over the last couple of weeks. In theory, they're going to be sending another campaign on Monday. Hopefully we can test this out and see how it goes and they have a successful campaign. So that's been keeping me up at night a little bit. Yeah. So you have a throttling engine on your side too. So you're not just firing them off to your provider. You're staging it. Right. That's the challenge is you have to know all of these rules on your end because I was a little surprised that my aggregator didn't have those throttling restrictions on their end and start yelling at me saying, hey, we know you're sending this to Canada. You're sending it to us too fast. You slow down. So all along the 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 handoff of these messages, no one is saying you're sending too many messages. And so it's just one of those industry knowledges that are in industry knowledge that you just have to have that knowledge of, oh, you can only send these messages at a certain rate. And if you go over that, it's, they're not going to get delivered. And so it's just having that and bringing it into our side and, and detecting that up, up front. So again, it's just those little things that you learn as you get deeper into an industry that you think it's it's easy on the surface, but until you actually get in there and actually start sending messages to new countries. And, and that's why I, I've avoided going international for so long is this is dealing with Canada, which is in theory, very, very similar to the US networks. And there's a huge difference let alone starting texting to Australia or the UK or, or uh, you know, any other country. But every one of those insights is building that moat, you know, you're going to yes, solve it and you're going to have that institutional knowledge. And that's something that somebody else will have to cross if they want to compete. It is. And, and I, I don't want to say that we kind of stumbled across something new, but we might have, because even my aggregator was trying to figure out what the problem was. And once they figured it out, they're like, oh, we need to improve our documentation that we provide to our customers based upon this very unique use case. So we'll see if that translates out. But I mean, we could have stumbled on something that, um, that no one really knew about was, was the root cause. And again, at this point, it's still a theory. <laughs> I mean, until, <laughs> until we send out that next campaign, we don't know for sure. So the, the, the customer has been, has been gracious, understandably frustrated, but uh, we're working with them and working with the aggregator and hopefully, hopefully it gets resolved. You're giving me flashbacks to my uh, first business, simpledine.com. We, we did online food ordering back in 2004. Okay. And I remember we, uh, so that was before restaurants had internet connections. I was going to say, that's that's very early days. Yeah, we had to send the orders via fax. But, oh. <laughs> you know, kind of what I was saying is, does it go off into the ether? Our faxes would go off into the ether. And normally it would be fine. But when a restaurant would get slammed, we realized that the workers were throttling our faxes. I mean, they were just putting them in a pile oh, somewhere and yeah. never touching them. So, yeah, we ended up having to hire a an offshore call center to follow up on every single fax that was sent. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the do unsustainable things to get started model. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Well, but anyway, I mean, we're learning as we go, you know, and so I do have an informal milestone to share as Ooh, well, that? which, so I think this is true. At least this is how I've always built my, my businesses with kind of 
notifications as what's going on with the system. So when I originally built Text Retailer, every single order that was placed, I'd get an email. And so I just kind of have this this gauge of what's going on. And, you know, when you start off and you have three merchants, it's like, oh, it's exciting. You know, <laughs> these are coming in. But especially going back to, you know, a Cyber Monday, my email inbox was just getting <laughs> flooded with all these orders. And I'm just like, there's just too much you know, stuff to look at. And so I took all of those emails, disconnected them. I'm no longer sending myself those emails, put it all into a Slack channel. And so I still get the the access to it. And so I can still see it if I want, but it's out of my, my email inbox, which is really nice. And so I'm looking forward to the day that I can take those order notifications, kind of combine them into a, a summary, you know, like here's a once an hour summary and just kind of see the things at the high level of the aggregate. And I think that's, that's that nice building of like, Oh, I want to see everything. And then, Oh, this is too much. And so let's, let's, <laughs> let's separate it out to the point where you're just looking at really high level metrics. So I'm, I'm excited to get to that point. Good. That's an awesome milestone. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Well, my milestone is probably not as awesome. I screwed up last week, Sam. You screwed up. Oh screwed no. Up. So there's a backstory. We've got a big customer in one of my other products, Pipetech Mobile. So they're an important customer, big customer, and they use a lot of subcontractors to collect their inspection data. So this is a city who's hired a bunch of contractors to go out and inspect their assets and return the data back to them. Now, traditionally in Pipetech Mobile, that information is all somewhat siloed. It's you know, under the purview of each individual contractor until the contractor submits it to the city, at which point it's really up to the city to aggregate the data and make use of it. So I thought, well, this is perfect for Pipe Tech Project, yeah? We could aggregate all the data for them. They actually called asking to say, hey, is there any way we could uh, more easily see this in one place? And I thought, well, it's just a slight deviation from the roadmap. They're an important customer. A non-paying customer directly for Pipetech Project, mind you. Now they're an important customer on the Pipetech Mobile side. What the heck? Let's let's do it. And then I did, you know, talk to the development team, say, "Hey, what's this going to take?" We all gave it a quick overview and said, "Ah, it's not going to be too bad." Well, it has been bad. <laughs> oh, no, we built the foundation as we talked about in my big update two weeks ago, and we even built the foundation to, in the future, support this type of data coming in. So we knew that was going to happen, and it was going to be good. We just didn't anticipate it being quite this soon. That was my question. Is this a customization specifically for this customer, or is this something that you anticipate other potential customers using in the future? You're just accelerating this work to try to get it sooner. It's an acceleration. These are all things that we knew we were going to do build and not even build. I mean, they, they were already there, at least on the on the data side. You know, we, we had to migrate the data over, but the foundation was there to support that. You know, the schema was in place. There were, were some changes on the inspection editor, which is one of the most important views in our application. This is when you're looking at an individual inspection of an asset and we're showing you the media and the other data that's associated with it. We had to tweak that in order to support more static image-driven data versus video-based data. So that was a change and is an ongoing change. But most importantly, it was a delay. I mean, it's taken the development team off track. They're now chasing little intricacies that we didn't foresee in the data. I mean, down to silly things like, oh, we didn't realize that this array could have nulls in it. Okay, well, there's three hours, you know, trying to make sure that it's not an issue. And 
And there were a hundred of those little things. You know, the inspection editor, we'll get into this in another show, but we're working with a great UX guy on it. And he was doing a fantastic job, really focused on the video-based inspections and had to pivot a bit. So it, it was disruptive to the team and to our flow. You know, even though we did all agree, okay, we can do it, but it, it was a disruption and we haven't recovered from that disruption yet. You know, it turned into a bit of a fire drill which is the opposite of the calm company ethos <laughs> that I'm trying for. They were both trying. I was up at 4 a.m. this morning testing some things, and I've got a meeting with this customer at 11.30 this morning, and I'm going to have to tell them that we're not quite there yet. You know, So we're not even putting our best foot forward. So it, it's ultimately something I think will be great for them, and I think and hope that they can expand into a full pipe tech project customer for all of their inspections. But now we have a situation where we've delayed customers who are waiting to start paying us right. for the product. We have this big customer who is not getting the best presentation they could have otherwise. And we have the team who's, you know, I don't want to say demoralized. I don't think anybody's demoralized, but they were pulled out of the flow and, and it kind of sucks. And, and I'm feeling it too. That's tough all around. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, you took a little bit of a, a gamble and saw the upside and it just didn't pan out. And I think it kind of goes back to the challenge of how difficult it is to estimate how much something is going to get take, get done or how, how long it's going to take to complete, even if you know both sides of the equation. I mean, you're talking about having two systems that you have built talk to each other. So you know both of those systems in and out. And there were still difficulties and still unforeseen challenges there. And you're, it's not like you're integrating with a third-party API and you have to learn their nuances. You own no, I mean, these. We have, we have the, direct database access. <laughs> right. But even with all of that going for you, you, you know, it's very easy to be like, it's the old, oh, it's going to take two weeks. Everything takes two weeks. You know? And then you get into the data and, and you realize, oh, this is a much bigger thing than I thought it was initially going to be. I'm curious when you got to that point where like, oh, this is not going well. Did you have the option to be like, you know, pull the plug and kind of revert or you, you were kind of committed. It sounded like to, to moving forward with this. Yeah, that's always a tricky thing. I'm going to move forward with it. I mean, my meeting is in an hour and a half here now from the time we're recording this. I thought about moving it. Uh, the fact is the client actually already mo moved the meeting a bit. So we had a few extra days in there to get this done. But, you know, I think it's best that we show them where we're at and I can use it as a learning opportunity, hopefully, to have them react to something tangible. I mean, it's always better when they can actually see it and, you know, move the mouse, et cetera. So I'm going to try to use it as a learning opportunity. We're going to keep moving forward. I don't think it makes any sense to stop now. I mean, you know, I mentioned the development team already kind of having to change track and get out of the flow from what they were doing. Let's not knee-jerk back to it. Let's close the loop. So that's what we're going to do. And I don't know how the customer is going to react. I mean, you know, you always think it's, I don't know, at least when I'm in these demos or if, you know, it's something that is not quite done or new, I'm always, a, I'm always worried and I can be a little bit negative about it. So it could be that they're totally supportive and say, great progress so far. Let's keep doing it. And here are a couple tips. But... I mean, we are dealing with municipalities here. You know, they also could be, no, this is what we needed. It doesn't do this. So we're going to look toward another solution. I think it's just a matter of trying to put as 
positive of a spin on it as possible while still being completely honest, you know, and I, I think that's where I know I've gotten in trouble in the past with how I've kind of handled sticky situations where if you try to put everything through those rose colored glasses all the time, the client's going to see through that and it's going to get to a point where they're like, mm, what you're telling me doesn't really add up. And so it's, it's important to, to be transparent and but with that being said, you don't have to necessarily get into the, you know, air the dirty laundry, you know, so to speak. And so it's a fine balance and it's, I don't know. I mean, I, again, hopefully they're, they're, they're okay. And when all said and done, they, they see the benefits will come to them eventually. And it might just be a matter of waiting for a few more weeks or whatever the timeline is. And they're okay with that. Yeah, I, I hope so. We'll find out. The other thing I'm going to try to do is really get them on our team, you know, have them, in other words, work alongside us to say, okay, here were some anomalies we noticed in the data. What do you think about that? How do you want to handle it? Are there some some things we can do to modify or translate the data into a format that would be more useful for you? Things like that, but try to get them working alongside us toward the solution of ultimately being fully deployed. And yeah, as I said, we'll see how it goes. Well, best of luck with that. That's always... It's, it's a tough place to be. You never want to let down the clients. You never want to let down the customer, but it's inevitable. And so it's, it's how do you, how do you bounce back from that? How do you, I, I think the big thing is that you're recognizing the issues, you know, not only the impact that it has on the customer directly, but on the team and being able to adjust from that. And like you said, turning into a learning, learning exercise. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Obvious in retrospect, but we're in <laughs> sure. the thick of it now. So. <laughs> but it's, you know, but it also goes back to it. It's so easy to go after that golden client or that ideal client, the one that's has such huge potential. And it's so easy to kind of get off track, quote unquote, and try to appease them or try to appeal to what their needs are. And that's a challenge at the the very early stages, because on one hand, you're like, I need to prove it to them, I want to, you know, be able to to fill those shoes. But on the other hand, it gets you away from it's such a huge opportunity cost if if it doesn't pan out. And then you just end up chasing these huge clients that might you might not ever land. And it's it's sometimes better just go after the guaranteed, like you say, singles and doubles and just just go after those as opposed to the home run sometimes. You're right. But it's also so easy to convince yourself either way. I mean, yeah, I can look at this and try to maintain perspective and say, hey, there are thousands of customers out here like this. On the other hand, I can look at it and say, yeah, but this is one you've already gotten in with and they could be one of the biggest customers out of the gate. Who knows? I have kind of adopted a rule and, and that's led me to a couple other strategy changes here that I'm hoping helps in the future. So... Both of the things I'm talking about relate to pricing. And one of them is something I've I've done in other businesses and just haven't had the opportunity to adopt it here yet. And that is only paying customers. There's in my world, you know, this is an enterprise business. There's not going to be a free trial. There's not going to be, you know, a data migration in hopes that you come on board, which is what's happening with this customer now. It's either we all agree that there's enough value here to pay for immediately, or let's keep having discussions. We will certainly demo the product. We'll certainly show you things. You know, We'll give you a taste of it, but we're not going to do a full onboarding and get you going for free. So that was one of the things that I am going to adopt going forward. I have one other customer who falls into that bucket that's been part of the beta as we've developed the individual features. So they'll need to convert. They also are 
giant, so they're very important potentially, but they're going to need to pay. And in, in lockstep with that, I've also just internally raised our minimum price tier. So boosted that up a little bit just to make sure we're focusing on the right customers right now because we don't have a problem yet. I mean, we will, I'm sure, but right now we still have customers lined up. We have early adopters who want to come on board. And our bottleneck is that onboarding process that we've talked about ad nauseum in the past. So by raising that bar, hopefully customers that are coming in line are higher level. I like the decision that you're making that's very conscious to say, because you're right, it's so easy, especially early days when you have kind of a beta version of your product. You don't feel it's quite there yet in order to be to justify having someone pay for it. And so it's so easy to say, come on, we'll give you access, test it out. You don't have to pay for it. And they're, they're customers, but they're not really at that stage. And it's, it's even easier when you have this p- big potential customer that's you know waiting in the wings potentially to say, oh, we'll throw this in. We'll build this out for you. We'll do this special thing for you in the hopes that you sign a contract later on now that we've proven it. So I like this shift that you're doing. It's subtle, but it's very important that you're saying, we'll still do all of those things for you, potentially. You know, We can still do custom build-outs or improvements, but you got to be under contract for us to do that beforehand. And, and I think that's a, that's a, it's a better place to be. You're not, you're not chasing after those, don't go chasing those waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take discipline though. Um, it does. I, yeah. I'm really curious how you think about that type of thing. Do you have free customers? Do you have people who are kicking the tires? Yeah, I do. And it's something that I need to probably tighten up a little bit because we do one of the, one of the ways that I'm going to envision the software working in general, even when we're up to speed and have a nice onboarding process. Is you'll have it's not really a free trial, but you basically get access to the account with a small amount of free messaging credits. So you can do some very basic testing. It's not like it expires after 14 days. Because one thing that I'm I am seeing with these merchants is. Some can be get they they you know they're ready to go and they can have their 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 program up and running in a week. Some take it takes three months and they're just busy doing other things. It's still important to them, but they just don't get around to it. And they log in two months later and they're like, okay, now I'm ready. And so we don't really want to do a time pressured stance, I don't think, at this point. But it definitely leads to merchants that are on the platform or at least have access to that just are hanging out, not really doing anything. So that's one of those things that I need to kind of look at and formalize that onboarding process and maybe push them a little bit quicker, you know, because the faster you get them onboarded, the faster you get revenue coming in the door. So that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Well, remind me your pricing structure right now. Were those customers who are on board, but not sending out campaigns, are they paying a monthly fee or are they just in the system signed up and not paying anything? The ones that are actively sending campaigns, they need message credits to send out a campaign. So they are on a subscription of some kind. And the way that I approached the pricing is I would love to do what uh, like the email uh, marketing platforms do, where it's just, it's basically a flat rate based upon the number of subscribers that you have. But the the cost of sending out an individual email is virtually nil. So it doesn't matter how many of those emails you send out in a given month. It doesn't necessarily cost that company all that much money. 
Now, when you look at our expenses, text retailers' expenses, every single text message that comes in or out of the system, we get charged by the carriers. And that adds up pretty darn quick. And so we can't just say $19 for, you know, up to 250 subscribers because they could be sending a message every single day. And that's a much different price or cost perspective than someone that has 200 some subscribers and is just sending once a month. You know, that's completely different. So we have to have some sort of usage built in. But I also didn't want to go purely usage based because that's, that can get super confusing for your customers when they don't know what kind of prices to expect in a given month, what they're actually going to be spending. It's hard for them to estimate how many messages they're actually going to send. And so what I've landed on is let's have different tiers. So I think we have a starter, a plus and a pro plan that are feature gated. So there's certain features that are available in those different tiers. And then within those tiers, you're selecting how many messages you want in your bucket every month. And that's where the pricing comes into play. So it's it's somewhat customizable. They can choose the number of credits, predetermined levels that they want in a given month. And they also choose the tier that they want. So it's kind of a matrix that, that comes out with okay, the pricing. So they can mix and match. Yeah, yeah. So we have some that are, they have a very small list, but they are sending messages quite often. So they need a lot of credits in a given month. On the flip side, we have people that have huge lists, but they're not sending that often. So they don't, they don't need that many, as many credits. So, so yeah, they can kind of pick and choose based upon the features that they want that are important to them and then pick and choose within there how many messages they want in a given month. And that's, that's kind of how we do a pricing. I got inspiration from Zapier. Honestly, that's that Zapier has a very similar thing where you have different tiers that unlock different functionality. So like if you wanted a, a zap that has multiple steps, that's an upgraded tier, but within there, they have usage limits on how many zaps or how many times the zap can be initiated in a given month. And so it's kind of that hybrid approach. So far, it's been working out pretty, pretty well. The merchants seem to like it because they have a very predictable fee every single month, but they also understand that if their usage goes up, if, as they grow their list, as they sell more product, they're going to have to upgrade to a new tier. So there's expansion revenue there for me. Is it easy for them to understand and calculate what a credit buys them and estimate how many credits they might use? Or do they have a lot of questions around that? A lot of questions. That's that's very difficult, especially when you take into account the fact that uh, going back to the MMS messages that I was talking about earlier, the image messages, those have a higher expense from the carriers. So it's not as simple as being able to say, one message equals one credit. There's many different ways that they can bump up into a single message costs multiple credits. So either they attach an image to it, now that's three credits. Or if they're sending a plain text message that's over 160 characters, that's two credits. <laughs> and it goes up from there. And so so we have to build in all these different things that we give them estimate, you know, estimated costs based upon the message that they're looking to send. But to extract that out into here's how many you're going to be able to send in a given month it's very hard for them to understand. Now we can translate that uh, into here's what it's going to cost per image message. Here's what it's going to cost per text. And then you just kind of have to guesstimate based upon the list. And so that's that's definitely one of the big pieces of the onboarding process is trying to help educate that merchant. Here's how much you can probably expect to, to be paying based upon the size of your list and how many messages you're planning on sending in a given month. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how analogous our businesses seem to yeah, be. I know. <laughs> uh, we are running into something and, and knew from the beginning we would run into something 
pretty similar. You know, when I when I try to figure out pricing, I kind of take a bottom up approach, uh, a cost analysis, and say, okay, you know, baseline, what's this thing going to cost us to run, and how do we make sure we don't lose money, and then come at it top down as well and say, okay, uh, how much value are we providing, and usually end up somewhere in the middle. My goal is generally to stay just below expectations. You know, for them to be the customer to be getting enough value that they say, wow, that's a little cheaper than I thought. You know, I'd pay a bit more for that. Not a lot more. I don't want that gap to be too big, but I'd pay a bit more. But this one was hard because our costs primarily, you know, outside of development and other things, our costs are driven by data storage. So you've got the, the videos, transcoding fees, because once that video hits, it needs to be or is uploaded. It needs to be transcoded into more stream friendly formats. And then bandwidth, how many people are watching these videos and these inspections. So those are our cost drivers. But customers don't think that way at all. So we they had can't to try translate to find that. that. They can't translate that. You know, in a perfect world, I would say bring your own host, whether it's AWS, Azure, we don't care. Bring your own host, have your own account. And here's the monthly fee for our service on top of that. Right. You, you pay for those. You pay for your usage with that other company. And then we just charge on top of that are the value of our software. Yes, you're, that would be easy. That would be great for you. I'd be great for me. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Here, file, no. get this account open and you pay for your own messaging. And then you just hook it into our software. We just charge you for the software. <laughs> and that frankly, we might end up doing that for certain enterprise customers. I mean, I'm, I'd be open to that discussion. But particularly for our mid-sized customers and anybody we have on the platform now, part of the value we bring is for them to be able to pay a predictable monthly amount and not have to worry about any of that. Not only do they not have to worry about their on-premise storage and backing that data up and server costs and IT and all that, they also don't have to worry about going into the cloud, which can be scary because I might get this giant bill. Right. Yeah. You're, you're bundling up all that for them. You're taking care of, you're bringing your expertise to the table and they, don't, they just don't have to worry about it. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what we've ended up doing is, is probably similar to your credits. Our proxy for cost is the number of inspections they have stored with us. So I've got a giant spreadsheet basically as I tried to work at this a couple different ways saying, okay, you have this many inspections and I do factor in in general, how big the customer is, because that means you'll have more people watching the inspections. This is generally what it's going to look like. This is how many inspections we're going to store in always available S3. This is how many are going to go into glacier type storage, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so far, that's working fairly well. You know, it's a concrete number. People can simply look up and say, okay, I have this many inspections. And we say, here's the bucket you fall into. Here's your, and, and it's worked well. And the challenge with that is I'm, I'm assuming that different inspections could have different data needs and your cost could be wildly different because a single inspection might have, I don't, I don't know what, a 30 minute video tied to it, whereas another one might have a three minute video and that's going to be wildly different. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. we have customers, some of whom are recording at like 240 by 320, some of whom are recording in HD. So. It is all over the map, and we're going for averages and learning right now. I don't know. I'm not one who says, okay, these are my prices, and now I'm locked in for a year. I mean, it is beneficial that our prices are not published. They don't need to be, and and there's just too much that goes into calculating a price. I mean, it really is custom for each customer at the moment. 
so there's that, but I will end up tweaking things and raising prices and there'll probably be different feature gates, whether it's HD video or it's some integration, you know, we've, we've worked hard to develop, but I think it's kind of a living thing in my world anyway. And that's such a challenge to kind of break down those different because, Like we were saying, there's so many dials, there's so many levers. And the last thing you want to do is just say, expose that all to the customer <laughs> because they're going to get overwhelmed. Now, like you mentioned, there, there, there is an interesting play where some of those more sophisticated, larger customers that want to have control of their costs, they see an opportunity to save costs. You could, like you said, offer them, you control that. You handle the AWS bill, you handle the Azure bill, whatever it is, you manage all that and then plug our software in. And so that's, but that's a very unique customer. And so being able to balance that cost and also provide that value add, one of the challenges that I had when I was kind of, it's, it's so tempting, especially when you have a usage type fee, even if it's as simple as I know each message is going to cost me, you know, X pennies. So I'm just going to mark that up and that's it. And that's kind of how I approached my pricing at the very beginning was purely on the cost analysis. And I want to get this little bit of margin and go from there. But then I realized I'm not just a regular old send a text message to your list type of platform. There's a lot of value that we've added on top of this, including the ability to take credit card payments and to sell product and have that flow back and forth between the customer and the merchant and the system automatically it's this very specialized product that has value there. And so I needed to remind myself as I was formulating these prices, don't just go off of your underlying cost, make sure you're putting in either enough margin or you're just putting in flat fees for that software that yes, if they compare my prices to another text messaging provider, if they look at, do the math on the per message costs, we might be a little bit higher, but that takes into account the value that we've added on top of just blasting out a message to your list. Yeah. And you can't be afraid of that. I actually got into a discussion with a prospect here recently about, okay, comparing first of all, the cost of being in the cloud versus the cost of simply hosting it themselves. And and they were really stuck on that and saying, well, it's more expensive to go with you guys than it is to have them, my inspections sitting on a server in city hall. And, you know, it's kind of tempting to try to get into the rebuttal of, well, yeah, but in the cloud, it's backed up all these different ways and you don't have to worry about it, blah, blah, blah. But you can't neglect the fact, sure, but our software lets you share these inspections. It lets you analyze them in all these different ways. It lets you search, sort, query, all these things that the server in City Hall doesn't do. So there are benefits and and we're not afraid to charge for those because they bring value. It's more than just the data storage. You, you, you have a lot more that you're offering and... It's it's hard to convey that sometimes when someone's just looking at the dollars and cents and looking to kind of shave off that price. And then it just gets back to that discussion with them and how you pitch the value. And accepting the fact that it's just not a fit. If you're right simply looking to store in our world, if you're looking to store your inspections in the cheapest way possible, then you should probably just go buy a NAS and have it sit in an office and hope that it never goes down. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's the simple answer. If they come back and they say, you know, for me, they come back and they say, oh, it's much cheaper to go with so-and-so company on a per message basis. And my answer is, yeah, it is. But do they allow you to do the things that we love? Well, no. Okay. Right. So that's what you need to make your decision <laughs> on. And, 
<laughs> Either one is okay. Will you match their pricing? No, because <laughs> we don't do what they do. We do more than what they do. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it, it would just be nice if everyone understood that and just handed over the money and <laughs> everyone, you know, could hold hands and skip into the sunset. But, you know, that's, that's part of business, you know. Well, so. One day. One day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you envision changing your prices at all? Because yours are published on the website, right? Yes. I I mean, yeah, I, I would anticipate we change at some points, whether it's going up or down, probably up at some points. I don't know really what that looks like. So far, I think we have a nice balance. Anytime I present the pricing and the, the cost structure, the other benefit that we have is we kind of have a hybrid approach where we have the messaging costs and the subscription on one hand which is very easy for merchants to understand, or at least once they start using the platform, understand here's what my monthly fee is going to be based upon the number of campaigns. But then we're also taking a percentage of the sales to go through the platform. So we kind of have this two-tier approach where we can be a little, we can we can be more aggressive on our uh, messaging pricing and be have it be less expensive for the merchant because we have that upside that we're sharing the value with the merchant. If they sell more through our platform, we make more and they make more. And so it's kind of that that two-tiered approach which helps to smooth out the messaging costs for us. But I can see all that being I can see all that being adjusted. I mean, I I've seen competitors most of our our merchants are we're, we're charging about 1%. I've seen competitors that they're not quite doing the same thing that we're doing, but they'll they'll take 5% of the sales, which seems like a lot. <laughs> to me. <laughs> so I, I think so far we're good, but you know, that may change down the line. Definitely. We should revisit this maybe in six months or a year. I'll, yeah. I'll be interested to know how our pricing does change. And even more than that, how we handle the communication back to customers. If we're raising prices, if we're grandfathering people in what yeah. the whole thing looks like. So I don't know, let's set a, uh, set a reminder for say six months and, and let's revisit. I like it. So what are you, what are you into lately? <laughs> Well, I, I picked a bad day for it, but so I, I got this new aura ring. Have you heard of the aura ring? I have. Yes. Okay. So you're, you're so, back to your, your biohacking again. <laughs> back to my biohacking again. Yep. Trying to improve my sleep in particular. So I got the, I got the aura ring, the, the gen three aura came yesterday uh-huh. and put it on and I slept yeah about four hours last night. Okay. So I, well, you're worried a, about, you were worried about this meeting that coming up. That's, that's, that's the problem. That's, that's exactly what the problem is. I got up early to do some QA. So, <laughs> so I might've picked the wrong day for the aura ring to start it out, but, uh, yeah, my, my readiness score is pretty low, but I'm excited to try it and see what insights it gives me and hopefully run a couple little experiments to try to improve that sleep. That's great. Yeah. I anecdotally, I've heard the people that have it that love it. They're just like, it's the greatest thing ever. And they swear by it. So It'll be interesting to see in a few weeks how, how that turns out for you. Yeah, I just hope that I'm diligent about actually tracking habits against the data. I feel like sometimes right. it's easy to just get into the data collection mode, but then don't take any action on it. <laughs> you don't make any changes or there's no <laughs> no insight, which which is, you know, that's what pipe tech's all about. You know, you can just have the data there, but until you you analyze that for them, you know, that's where the real insights come into play. So that's that's great. Should I tell the team we're going to do sleep data too? Yes. Yeah. Throw that <laughs> wrench. <laughs> See what they say about that. <laughs> Hook it in. Hook it in. Yeah, it's just one more integration. It'll take two it'll weeks. Be, it'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you well, into, Sam? Well, my new MacBook Pro just uh, arrived this week, and I've had a lot of fun getting that set up. And it's 
It's a beast. It's awesome. I, I've been the, the old machine that I was on is pushing, was pushing about four or five years, I think old. And so it's, it's just really satisfying that you type things, you do things and it just happens instantly. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, this is what I've been missing out on. So that's been, that's been really good. And it's, you know, it's always tough to get into a new computer. You think it doesn't always. And nothing, it's always a little bit different. And so getting all the nuances, the new applications set up and things like that ported over has been, I mean, it's little things like I plugged in my old mouse, which was still a wired mouse that I've been using forever. And the software that does all of the custom buttons things doesn't work with the new OS version. So I had to go out and buy a new mouse too, which, which I'm actually really liking. I got the new Master MX3 by Logitech and yes, it's slick. Did, did it's you nice. get the Mac version of it? I did. Yeah. I didn't do much yep. research to know what the differences were, but I figured if it's tied into Mac, that's probably better. So that's what I did. And so far it's, it's pretty nice. And uh, I like how I can program things. I've never had the horizontal wheel, which is on there now. And that's, that's, that's pretty nice. Yeah. I, I'm using the same mouse and like it as well. So. Maybe that'll be our, our joint, what we're into next week. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So no, but that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. If, you, if you're looking for an upgrade, the new MacBooks are really nice. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Awesome. I'm going to ride mine out for a little while longer, but maybe next year. There you go. There you go. Well, I think that's, that's it. So notes of the show can be found at sasslife.fm. And I guess we'll see you soon, Chris. I mean, we got the holidays coming up, so I'm not sure when we'll get back to, together again to talk, but uh, hopefully one more time this year. And if not, I'll talk to you in the new year. <laughs> so, sounds great, Sam. And good luck to the Hawkeyes this weekend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll be, yeah, like I said, I hope we, we show up and can compete. It'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Take care. See ya.